0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to Lost Floors Church, and I'm Chris. I'm the pastor here, and today we're starting a brand new sermon series. We're going to be looking at the life of Abraham and his relationship with God and how that still affects us in the church today. And so today we're going to have this this overview of the life of Abraham and his family. But before we can get to that, we really need to go all the way back to the beginning of Genesis. and In Genesis chapter 1, we have the creation of the world. God creates everything that we can see now. And then at the pinnacle of that, he creates Adam and Eve. And, And in this, God has this amazing relationship with Adam and Eve, where they walk in the cool of the evening. They spend time together. They know everything about God. God knows everything that's going on in their lives. And then... In chapter three, Adam and Eve are, are tempted by the serpent to eat the fruit of the of the one forbidden tree in the garden. And you know the story, it they chose to take the fruit and eat it. And from there they their relationship with God was was severed. And and forever was never going to be the same. And, and really from that, that's where we we have the rest of the story of the Bible, this, this story of God pursuing mankind and that relationship again. And so Adam and Eve, they're they're kicked out. They lose their privilege of living in the Garden of Eden. And they've got to go out and they now have to toil with the land. They have to grow their own crops and it's tougher to do that. And, and there's all kinds of things they have to deal with now. But in that... Uh, all of humanity begins to come out. You've got Cain and Abel, and you've got Cain murdering his brother. And and after that there's just thing after thing and, and mankind just goes into this this downfall really this this downward spiral until until God is like I've had enough I, I don't know what is going on here. I mankind is, is out of control. And so he finds one man and his name's Noah and he's he's this one righteous man. So God picks Noah and his family and he gives Noah instructions. He builds this giant ark and God sends this flood. And in essence, God just is starting over. He's going to try to wipe out the wickedness and he saves this one family. And from there, this family begins to grow and multiply And in that, God gives a promise that he will never wipe out humanity again that that he's going he gives us the rainbow and this promise that that hey this is never going to happen again but we're going to have a different relationship and so through this man Noah and his family they begin to spread all over the earth and each of his sons basically becomes a nation in and of themselves but at some point in there we, we get to chapter 11 and chapter 11 is interesting it says that that basically all the people on the earth, they got together. They all spoke the same language and they decided, you know what? We don't need God. And here we go again, right? And they decide they're going to build this giant city and this, this giant tower that's going to reach all the way to the heavens because they don't, they don't need God is what they're basically saying. There's really three things that, that the people of earth are saying here. First of all, they're going to build a huge heaven our are huge tower reaching to the heavens saying they are going to be the ones that are great. Uh, number two, they're going to make a name for themselves. They're going to be these, these famous people because of what they're doing. And then their goal is not to be scattered all over the earth, to stay tightly together. And God looks at this and he goes, this is not good because God commanded them to spread into all the earth. And he commanded them to have a relationship with him, that he was the great one. And so in this, God comes down. He he then gives all these different languages to the people working in this city, and it confuses them and pretty soon, causes distrust and separation, and the people begin to spread all over the earth. And it's interesting when you just look at that Tower of Babel, how many times that's been basically duplicated in in human history, right? We're, we're always trying to attain what God has attempt to be God in in some way or or to get our own righteousness we think we can do it on our own and and God has to do this over and over in human history say no 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 i'm god and i'm the one that you need to be worshiping and so god this is kind of a story in and of itself throughout time and history and and now we have these generations that go by Generation after generation, Noah's sons, like I said, become nations. And, and one of those sons, his name was Shem, his nation is called the Semites. And the Semites become, well, as we know now, the Jewish people, because out of Shem's nation, the Semites, comes a man named Abram. Now, interestingly enough, that, that word Semites actually began being used again in like the 1700s, And it was used in a very derogatory way towards Jews. That's where we get this idea of anti-Semitism, which honestly, I never really understood why is it anti-Semitism. It's it's against Jews, this racial slur. But it comes all the way back from Shem, the, the nation of the Semites. So in chapter 12, we are introduced to Abram, who comes out of the Semites. And Really, other than Noah, this is this is kind of the first time that God's come down and chosen one man and said, hey, this is what we are going to do together. You and I, we're going to have this special relationship. And I want to read to you the call of Abraham. It's found in Genesis 12, 1 through 4. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. Now if you remember, we go back to the Tower of Babel, and you remember those those three things that they were going to build this huge city. Uh, They were going to do it, and they were going to make a name for themselves, and they were going to be tight together, you remember? Well, here, God's like giving Abraham a completely different plan, because this isn't Abram's plan, this is God's plan. And God says, I'm going to make you a great nation, I will bless you, and here's the key, and all people on earth will be blessed through you. And so God's making this amazing promise to Abraham that he's going to make him a great nation. He's going to bless him. And all people on earth will be blessed through this man, Abram. So this is the beginning of God's plan to rescue the world. And it's through this man, Abram. Now, if you remember, you go back to Noah and remember, I said, Noah was this pretty special guy. He was pretty righteous. In fact, Genesis 6 says this, Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Not so with Abram. (laughs) Abram, you cannot say, was completely righteous and blameless because Abram made all these mistakes. He did not have a squeaky clean record like Noah did. And that's what I think is so interesting about this story with Abram. And so after God calls him, he begins to make this this journey to this promised land that we hear about all the time in the Old Testament. But he starts to make this journey. It's the land of Canaan. And it's it's not it's not Egypt, but it's close to Egypt. And so here he makes this, this trek there and there's a famine in the land. And so he makes his way down to Egypt. And so in chapter 12, here we have Abram and his wife and his entourage of family and slaves and everything else, here they come. And Abram starts to get nervous as he gets closer to Egypt because his wife, Sarai, is, is kind of a pretty lady. And he's afraid that maybe the, the Pharaoh in Egypt will kill him to get his wife. So he tells Sarai to lie and just say, hey, we're brother and sister. And that way they won't kill me. So sure enough, the, the people that come to greet Abram and his family, they see Sarai. And they're like, "Hey, she really is cute." And so they go and tell the Pharaoh, and the Pharaoh says, "Well, send send her up," thinking it's his sister. And so he takes Sarah as his own, as his as his wife. And in return, he gives Abram animals, slaves, men and women, Egyptian slaves, and and he gives him all these these riches because of Abram's wife. And then. God begins to do bad things to the Pharaoh. And the Pharaoh's like, I've done something wrong, didn't mean to. And he realizes that, hey, he finds out somehow that Sarai is actually Abram's wife. And he gives Sarai back and goes, man, I want nothing to do with you and your God. Get out of here. And so they leave. So after this bad situation in Egypt, Abram moves on. And God makes him this great promise Once, once again. It's found in Genesis 15.1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. And then in verse 5, he says, He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. So here God is again promising Abraham, Man, I am going to make you this great nation. Your offspring are going to be as many as the stars in the sky. I mean, that's a huge thing. That very night after this vision, God makes a covenant with Abram. And it's it's the first of two covenants that we're going to talk about later in this series. But these two covenants change everything for Abram and the Jewish people and the Jewish faith, really. These are these huge covenants. Uh, basically contracts with God, these legal binding agreements with the God of the universe. It's, it's really pretty amazing. But now we've got this problem, right? That God's promising them this big, beautiful, overwhelming nation, and yet they have no kids together. And so here comes a pretty big problem. Sarai and Abram start scheming outside of God's plan. And Sarah brings Hagar, her maidservant from Egypt, um, to Abram and says, you know what? I can't give you kids. You know, we're like 86, 87 years old, and, and we need to get started having this family if we're going to be this great nation. And so, so Abram sleeps with Hagar and they have Ishmael. Well, as you can imagine, it immediately begins to cause problems. And Sarah hates hagar after this and can't stand ishmael and so now there's this this horrible conflict right there inside their own family and at one point sarah he, she sends them away and an angel actually meets hagar and ishmael and says no you, you need to go back it, it's a horrible situation but you need to go back and then the angel says this about ishmael he will be a wild donkey of a man his hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him and he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. Well, the ironic part about this, you know, the first thing that Abram did wrong when he lied about Sarah being his sister and, and the Pharaoh gave him all these gifts. Do you know one of those gifts most likely was Hagar? One of the, the maid servants that came from... So the, the first mistake... It's like it just kept going, right? And now you have Hagar, now you have Ishmael, and you have this conflict inside the family. And what's interesting about Ishmael is the Islamic faith, they actually claim Abraham as the father of their faith also, but it's through the line of Ishmael. And so you can see here that that there's this conflict that even today is still going on. So now we have Abram at 86 years old. He has Ishmael as a son, but he has no other sons. And the promise was supposed to be with Sarai, and it was supposed to be this great nation, right? All these offspring, and he has nothing. And and so in, in chapter 17, at 99 years old, Abram and God go into another covenant commitment to each other. And in this, God asks Abram at 99 years old to be circumcised. And his entire family is circumcised, which is a mark to show that he is God's chosen family. And that, that they are God's and God is theirs and it's this, this, this covenant relationship. And in that, that's when Abram becomes Abraham and Sarai becomes Sarah. They basically have the name of God put in their names because they have now become one in this covenant commitment with each other. And from there we go to chapter 18. Now, just let me tell you, there's a lot of things going on. I'm leaving out Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm leaving out Abram's nephew, Lot, and we're just covering some different things here. But in chapter 18, we have some angels that show up for dinner at Abram Abraham and Sarah's house or their tent. And so they feed these angels dinner, and during dinner, one of them tells them, hey, you're going to have a child. Now remember, they're 99 years old. And in the tent back there, Sarah laughs. She overhears this, and, and she laughs. And, and the angel, like, why, why is your wife laughing? Because this time next year, I'm going to come see you, and you will have a son at 99 years old. So chapter 21, finally we are introduced to Isaac. Sarah and Abraham's son, Isaac, he's the promised child, right? And and even in his early days when he's still a baby, there's just this love for him. And in that, Ishmael's feeling kind of left out. And at one point, Ishmael is mocking this baby, Isaac. Sarah sees it and she is just irate. And so there's this constant unrest in the family and so finally Sarah goes to Abraham and says get rid of him and get rid of Hagar. I can't deal with him anymore and so at that point Abraham he bans Ishmael and Hagar from the family. They are forever separated at that point but following that as Isaac grows up a little bit Abraham is put to the ultimate test and I'm just gonna guess that this this put a little strain on the relationship between Abraham and Sarah. But I just want to read it to you so you can get the full gist of this. It's chapter 22, verses 1 through 3. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, I am here, he replied. And then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey, and took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. That's disturbing in so many ways when we stop and think about this. This, this old man has finally had a child. And immediately God asks for the child to be sacrificed. I mean, this is like some... One of those crazy cult religions, right? I mean, this is some something you watch on a horror show. I mean, and, and so you read this and you go, "Man, what what is happening here? Why would God even ask this of Abraham?" And, and and we look at this and we go, "Man, Abraham, at least according to the text, he didn't even hesitate. It wasn't like God, give me a week to, to just spend with my kid. Let, let me let me think about this. There was nothing. It was the next morning." He got up with Isaac and he he took him. It's almost to me like he was expecting God to ask this gigantic, horrible thing. And so when they get to this place where he's going to sacrifice his son, he literally ties him to the altar, puts wood around him, and he literally pulls out the knife to kill his own son. And that's when God stops this and basically says, look, I, I was testing you. And, and you were willing to do what I asked. And, and and in that, God provides a ram and he provides an animal so they can sacrifice the animal and, and they can offer that sacrifice to God as opposed to Isaac, his son. But please understand, this is not some sick cult or, or some twisted thing. But this is simply this foreshadowing of something so much greater. This this idea that, that Abraham would sacrifice his own son, that God would even ask that, is this foreshadowing of what God did for us. You remember Abraham? He, he's going to be a blessing through him and, and through his family. is going to be a blessing to all people. And and obviously, Jesus is that blessing to all people. And and god himself was willing to sacrifice his own son jesus it's what he asked abraham to do and it's what god actually did for you and i it's this beautiful foreshadowing and and following this event it, abraham gets this amazing promise once again from god and i want to read it to you it's in Gen- genesis 22 15 through 18. the angel of the lord called to abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashores. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offsprings, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. And so we end on this beautiful promise of God. And, and over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look more in depth at the life of Abraham and especially his relationship with God. And we're going to look at these covenant these covenant commitments that God made to Abraham and Abraham made to God and, and, and how impactful those are even to us today, how we are blessed through those. Uh, but what I want to walk away with today is, is first of all, isn't it amazing how God just uses ordinary people, imperfect people like Abraham? It, that that Abraham, man, he he did sometimes very little right, but yet he still remained faithful to God, and God remained faithful to him. And so it's not about perfection, it's about having faith in God. And the second thing is that God's plan. Is for all people and not just the best people not just a certain race of people it's for all people God's plan was to restore his relationship with all people and that includes you and I today let me pray for us dear Heavenly Father thank you for your word thank you for the the truth of your word the beauty of the story and the beauty of the relationship that you have had with your people forever. And we thank you for the relationship that we get to enjoy with you even today. We love you and we pray this in your name. Amen.